Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. I felt a demonic power at the house, very much so. In fact, one time I went out on the porch at night, my parents were out and I had to stay away from my brother because he would try to beat me up too. He had carte blanche to do it. So I was on the backyard looking at the forest and it felt dark and evil. And so I tried to be brave and called out to the forest. I went, you know, ah, like to yell to the forest to try to be strong and brave. And I felt like something yelled back. One of the things from the childhood I think that stands out to me is that I thought differently than others. I definitely viewed the world differently than others. I remember making a decision that I don't want this happening to others. I don't want anyone to ever go through what I'm going through. And so it dispels that idea that if you're treated terribly or abused, that you're going to abuse. That is not true. If, if you're abused, you come to that decision point, I think, where you decide that you don't want that to happen to anybody else, then that's where you head. You head that way. What happens now is when the SWAT teams show up, they now bring child services with them to confiscate the children. Just like they did on Maui, kind of. So what they're going to do now is the children are the pawns on the chessboard. And they're, they're considered their view of the game. They call it a game, chess game. So what they're going to do now is take children away. Right, And that's part of their tactic. That's why my two sons were killed. And it was told to me that's why they were killed. So I would, quote, behave myself. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. Today, Luke and I are privileged to invite back Tom Althaus, and this time we go over his childhood, the incredible things that he was forced to deal with, things I can't even imagine being put through, and being put through by his family, by his parents, namely his mother and brothers. And yet somehow Tom came out of that. We hear a lot about his background, about the Freemasonry and the things that he was groomed to be. We're going to hear about the Pat Robertson connection as far as Tom being groomed to be the face of the Christian coalition, all the while Pat Robertson having some very dark skeletons in his closet. All this and more, guys, and we're again splitting this episode into two parts. So in this first part, you're going to hear a lot about Tom's childhood and what he went through fascinating stories and we're very thankful to have Tom back and for him to share his story with us so I hope you enjoy this episode please make sure to click five stars on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your family and friends if you'd like to get in touch with us with any questions or comments for the show feel free to send us an email at the days of Noah podcast at gmail.com with that let's bring on Tom Althaus So welcome back, Tom Althaus. We're, uh, Luke and I are privileged to have you back and um, kind of pick up where we left off on uh, your 
crazy, incredible life experience and just your story. So I think last time we covered quite a bit of how uh, the intellectual property theft went on with your script, The Immortals, which is what they used to create the Matrix franchise. And I thought we could kind of go back to the beginning and talk about your childhood because you've mentioned on on many of your appearances and shows uh, with others about how you were treated. You were singled out by your parents at the expense of, you know, your brother's uh, getting the preferential treatment and you basically being abused. I mean, literally right. abused. Right. Right. Um, so I kind of want to hear how that up- upbringing went about. And then, um, you know, your parents' background, what, you know, what they would have been into or <laughs> in order to make them so psychotic, honestly, you know, and, and why they were singling you out. Um, yeah, any any Freemasonry or Satanism or or anything like that that you think might be tied to, you know, their lineage too. So, um, yeah, start wherever you'd like, I guess, with kind of what what you experienced growing up. Well, um, what's interesting is our family background has um, Germanic roots, um, and uh, there was a very strict, very strict situation in the household where uh we were basically told we had to be perfect and um that's a phrase i remember hearing and then you have this um charismatic thing going on this element of united methodist calvinist with charismatic and that's why um in the beginning they were actually fans of pat robertson's organization and so we were just cookie cutted all the wrong way and um there was a situation where uh, my mom, uh, she felt that she was uh, not favored by her parents, uh, her mom especially, and that her younger sister was. So when I was second born, my mom actually wrote me a, a letter to college in college and explained everything to me and said, because I was second born, um, she basically um, singled me out because of she was treated um, where she felt like she was treated less by her sister being second born. So it basically was payback. And, um, what I kept hearing was growing up, you know, you, you're so perfect. You're so perfect. And so I was actually beaten. Um, it was explained to me because I looked too good, which is really bizarre because when you run into Robertson's organization, then they're casting to be the face of the Christian coalition because of the dimples and everything else. So I was given um, really big brown horn-rimmed glasses. Um, I was not allowed to fix my teeth. I was not allowed to have contacts. My brother was. So I was given secondhand clothes. And if I wore something nice, I was told to go upstairs and take it off before I went to school. Um, Wasn't allowed to look good. And I actually had these like checkered pants that were just like clown pants that I would go to school. So I get beat up at school a lot. Something like Austin Powers would wear. Yeah, exactly. That's why I I wasn't allowed to have nice things. And um, my brother was like the bad seed, my older brother. He um, had all sorts of perversions. And so what happened was, um, it's not easy for me to talk about, but um, he actually was, at times he would say, you know, your art's really good. You are better than me in art. But it was a narcissist speaking. So that actually meant a declaration of war. When I brought artwork home from school, my mom would tear it up. I wasn't allowed to do art. I wasn't allowed to play the piano. I get beaten if I played the piano. So I would play the piano in secret. I was chores were my playtime. It was Cinderella, really what it was. But because of this situation, um, I actually, I think the Matrix story, the Immortals, comes about because of this unique situation as a child. And it had me thinking differently than their children. Suddenly, as I got older, um, people would say to me, as a young child still, they'd say, you're beautiful. You're. It was a real dichotomy. Because if I was in a public place, like a church or something, 
people would say, you know, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful to me. But that made it worse. There'd be beatings for that. So it, it was a terrible thing where I didn't want people to tell me I was beautiful. I didn't want people to tell me anything. But at the same time, I was like, I could do no, I couldn't do wrong. I couldn't do anything that was offensive because it means more beatings. So one of the things I clearly remember, um, my brother took advantage of this, my two brothers, where they could get up in the middle of the night and I would then be hauled down to the basement and I was being made to stand in the center of the basement floor. And then my brothers were told, do what, do what he did to you. I would have no idea what they're going to do because I hadn't done anything. I was too afraid to do anything. So my one brother would come first, the older brother, Jack, who's with Disney now and Spielberg. Um, he came up and he'd punch my jaw. I was to stand there and take it and not show any, any signs of reaction. So I still remember clearly the feeling. And then my younger brother was told to come up and he decided to hit me in the stomach really hard. And this would go on. Who was the one telling you not to show any feeling? My mom. So your mom is there observing this or directing She would sit it? in the chair and direct it. Oh so goodness. the punches would come, the hits would come. What the, one of the most tactile memories I have is going to bed and feeling warm blood coming down my face. I felt the education was so, system was so stupid in America because I would go to school with dried blood trails. Yeah. And teachers did nothing about it. I remember being abused in class where um, snot was being thrown on my back. They're laughing and just thrown on my back. Bullies had a heyday. And the teacher sat in front at Tamman Junior High and just looked at me as was going on. They were too afraid to do anything to stop mm. what was happening. And, and um, you, grew up, you grew up where again? Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania, okay. Bucks County, okay. where this um, Congressman Fitzpatrick is that disrupted Ukraine. Penn State University is where my parents both went and my brothers went and, or older brother and Penn State is the keystone, no pun intended, in um, agencies right now with cover-ups on the Cuban uh, Indian cricket thing. They said with the attacks, sonic attacks on in, uh, US and Canadian embassy. It was Penn State that did the research. Penn State does a lot of the stuff with the Pentagon. And so you look at the infrastructure of our family and we're situated with the main players. My brother married um, a girl named uh, Diane Groves. Her cousin is Ben Burt, who is the number one man with Spielberg. So he works with Spielberg and Disney. And the only contract my brother gets as a architect is from Disney. The, um, like a thousand miles away down in Orlando working on the Sheraton at times. So they're throwing him a bone. When my daughter got bought off, she was employed by ABC. And what's interesting is if you look at um, the write-up you gave me about Pat Robertson, ABC is what's used with his channel. He works with ABC. And so that's Disney. Disney and ABC are together. So <clears throat> something interesting happened to me where I learned to try to um, find peace and joy when I'm not getting beaten. So when I'm not being beaten was when I felt happiness, but I knew the beatings would come. My mom would drop, um, a jar of olives in the kitchen and she was so angry. She dropped it. She grabbed a rod iron or, um, skillet and then ram it up my head. I still have a ridge on top of my head and if you look closely, you'll see scars on my face where there's lines from the claw markings. So she would come down like in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., even though I had school the next day. And this was when I was in junior high. And she'd start, I remember the silhouette in the doorway. And she'd say, you're Satan, you're winning, you're Satan. And then she'd go in the room and she'd topple all the dressers. She would break my models, throw my toys. And then she'd come and start clawing my face speaking weird things like almost tongues and my face that again, the warm feeling of the blood. So what I wanted to do was try to grow up fast. I knew if I grew up fast, I would be out of that house of hell. I called it. And I tried one thing one time where I went to her at the bottom of the steps. I was five years old and I called up to her and said, you know, mom, I love you. Right. 
And the response from up the stairs was cut the dramatics. She said, cut the dramatics, very angry. And I was like, I didn't know what dramatics was at the time. And um, all I knew is that it didn't work to try to reach out. There was a time my brother and I were playing in the yard, a little jungle gym, and um, he wanted to make little dust bombs, you know, like dust bombs, like little explosions. So I joined him. We did little clouds of dust in the air. And it meant something to me if I was allowed to play. So somehow I'm playing. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be out, but I was playing. Next thing I heard a voice screaming um, from the upstairs window. And it said, um, get up here now. I went upstairs and um, she literally, I was young enough that she picked me up and threw me into the furniture. And my head started bleeding profusely at the top. And so then the only affection I was ever shown was that moment where she grabbed ice after the beating and said, held me and put ice on my head, which for a child that's denied any affection whatsoever, it felt like a moment, right? But then what she said made it clear what was actually going on. She said, don't tell your father, he'll kill me if he knows. You know, so, so she's doing all, all of this behind his back. I was going to ask, where is he in was, all of this? My dad was stupid. He was not a smart man at all. Mm. Very, had problems, mental disorders, and just not a smart man. And so there was one time I went downstairs and I had to tell someone. And so I went to speak. And this is the weirdest sensation. I think people will identify with this that have gone through this to degree where you go to talk and I went like this, I went, I couldn't speak. Nothing came out. And I looked over at my mom and she's looking like giving you the death. Like eyes. Yes. And I just knew I'm dead. I'm dead. Did you ever try to talk to him when she wasn't around? I did. Didn't do any good at all. It was like talking to somebody. There's a film out or a series where there's a good example of what he was like. And it was, it illustrates it where I just saw it recently where you're, you're trying to talk to him. What was that film? It's, it's a comedy. And this one guy plays this character where he just like, uh huh, good. Yep. Uh huh. Well, it Nothing. reminds me of in American Beauty, the mom of the neighbor. Do you remember that? Right. Where she's just totally in her own world. You know, her son brings over the girl from next door. And she's like, oh, I didn't know a guest was coming. I would have cleaned up. And the camera pans around the dining room and it is spotless. Exactly. Like That's what it was. She's just yeah. off the wall. Yeah. Tom, was, I've got a question insane. for you. Go ahead. Go ahead so you mentioned your father briefly and kind of his mental state or his involvement in the relationship. It seems like he was kind of checked out. Yeah. But why would your mom say, don't tell your father? She what claimed. Do you, what do you think? It's a good question. She claimed later that he would, she said, because he frothed at the mouth. I don't know if it's true or not. And that he would um, uh, demand that she perform certain acts sexually and things. She told me this later. So I don't know the dynamics of it. I don't know exactly what was going on. But she claimed that she was scared of him later. But he really wasn't the one in charge because I remember her ordering him to beat me and he did, but it was under her orders. And I remember now the character that he reminds me of, it's from Band of Brothers. If you watch Band of Brothers, there's a Lieutenant Dyke in Band of Brothers. And during Bastong, Lieutenant Dyke just was there for promotions. He wasn't ever tuning to his men. He's always like, okay, well, keep up the good work. And just wasn't even communicating with people. And there's a scene where the one sergeant tries to have a conversation with him. And it sounds like Dyke is uh, starting a conversation. So he's like, yeah, I was grew up on a farm and I was, uh, yeah, I, I thought I wanted to serve. Them. And meanwhile, he looks up, Dyke's already trailed off. Never was even attached to the conversation. Not engaged. That's my dad. That's my dad. It also so, reminds me of um, Lord of the Rings where the king, I forget his name, was under the witchcraft spell, remember? Right, right. And, and yes. the number two guy, the snake. Worm tongue, yeah. Worm tongue guy uh, is basically running the shots and whispering in his ear. Exactly. Everything. And the king's like, yes, yes, let's do this, let's do that. 
Exactly. Until, until that spell was broken, he had no will of his own. Yeah, because that's, it's, I'll give you an example. When I was at school the one time, there was a kid named Barry Kahn who knew I would fight back, and shorter kid. And he kept trying to do anything to spark a confrontation. And he got his little group together on it. And suddenly, next thing I know, he's beating me up with a rock on the head, basically knocking me out unconscious. And the teachers are so stupid at Barclay Elementary and Tamman Junior High in Pennsylvania, so stupid that they took me bleeding and lined me up against the wall, not even to a nurse. Idiots. And so what happened, that's really what I was thinking about the education system is so backwards, I thought. And what happened was when I got home, my dad sees all the bruising and bleeding and everything. And he goes, why did you, why would you beat that guy in a fight? So that's what he said. It wasn't about what I, what a piece that I felt like trying to be peaceful or that I, yeah. somebody didn't want to fight. It was, I failed him because I didn't beat the kid in a fight. Yeah. That kid lived for fighting. I tried not to. So another well, one of those moments, that's all he said. It yeah. seems to me that just from the pattern of behavior, especially with your mom uh, out of the two, that there's some major, and I know mental conditions can create that kind of behavior apart from spiritual. But if I had to put my money on it, I would say there's definitely some some demonic influences in her to do that kind of stuff. Cause that is like, that's pretty twisted, you know, to say the least. Well, it, it is treat you that it way. It is. There's a, there's a um, show that they did from universal studios, the star Trek series where they had um, captain Picard and he meets uh, basically what is a clone of himself. And that clone has, he says that I'm you, but I have the broken jaw the broken nose I've been. And when I heard that I identified with that character completely, you know, that, yeah, I have the broken nose. I have the, you know, and what's interesting is guys that child services, they're idiots too. They really are. And they're a political organization connected to the police and the, our country does not take care of its own. It it's basically a bunch of people in my mindset that are looking to gain. And they ask the question, what's in it for them? And they don't take care of each other. So my worldview changed, was developed differently on a different line. And when you look at the Wachowskis, there's no way they could take and write this work. Because if you look at what the really original work is, it's actually about trying to see a world where people like me fit in. It's, it's from that compassionate standpoint is what it's about. And they lift every image and turn it around into their viewpoint, which is self-seeking and things like that. They take out the love of the characters and Neo becomes this plastic monstrosity and Trinity. There's no real love, but they have sex in the cavern. That's not in here. Uh, Surrey comes from the Surrey tech is in here. It comes from the idea of the um, Neo character losing his loved one, his wife. They took that relationship out. It's like, you can tell they're from different mindset that he was so broken that he lost her in the future when he's part of the program with the red pill that he programs his home, his Neuralink, everything to have her voice and her personality. So Suri actually comes from. Didn't they a man. use that in Minority Report? Was it Minority Report where Tom Cruise is um, is no, yeah, with his son, right? He's, yeah, well, exactly. He's playing back the videos and he can't let go. Was that it? And you know what's interesting about that point you just raised? Um, the gentleman who had written Minority Report, Philip K. Dick. Before he died, he said he did not want his work altered at all, right? And so, you know, I just noticed something while I'm talking. Do you notice I'm talking softer? Yeah. The reason I'm talking softer is you entered me into my childhood. Hmm. And I had to talk very soft as a child. Otherwise, I get the shit beat out of me. Wow. So I'm actually going back and I just realized I am talking soft because that's how I was. That's how I survived as a child. If you can call it survival, it's amazing. Um, have yeah, you um, have you learned anything about maybe your parents' upbringing, specifically your mom? Um, maybe even relationship to that area that you grew up in Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania's got a 
a, a long history when it comes to child abuse and the it's occult. And, demonic, yes. Um, and a lot so. of land defilement, too, if you think back to this, you know, the wars fought there. And, you know, our friend Rod from the Millennial Mustard Seed podcast lives in Pennsylvania. And there's a lot of supernatural stuff going on. There, there is a lot of supernatural stuff going on in Pennsylvania. So I was just curious if you might have learned anything from your family tree, your, your, your parents' history that might tie into that region um, that might explain the behavior. Absolutely. There was a lot of fear in the area. And you, like you have the Germanic roots, you know, which we were part Mennonite, apparently, but also Swiss royalty, Swiss, Schweizer Deutsch, German Deutsch, or German Swiss. And um, so basically our family line is uh, rooted in terror because um, there was a persecution of the Germanic people during the um, Hundred Years' War where they said Germany did not recover as a population for a hundred years after the slaughter of a third of German population. And that's historic. Also we're descended from the Huguenots. So the Huguenots that uh, our family line fled from France during the massacre, St. Bartholomew's day. And so, you know, you have this bloody history in my family line. And if you look at my siblings and such, they all sold out deeply. They're demonic. And they don't include me or Aiden in anything. They would sell their soul for a dime. And it's like I have no family left on my cousins or any of them. My, I just learned my cousin Eric, who uh, works at the Pentagon when 9-11 happened, um, has four properties. It's all about success. And um, that's, that's what I remember at the farm. They called it the farm. When we go on um, Thanksgiving – there it'd be brag sessions about, you know, who's doing what and who's succeeding most. And that pressure was exerted on the kids where it was competition really didn't have a childhood. Um, so I remember my older brother, when we went to see a neighbor, he actually, he had free range of my toys. And so he gave him all my matchboxes for them to create accidents, hammers and hit them and beat them up and smash them. And put them on their train set as accidents, he said. Things that I was trying to save for my children in the future as a kid. And um, he had Kevin McNulty, whatever, punch my nose and do a false accusation saying, you were mean to my sister. I didn't even see his sister. And they just make an excuse to, you know, hit the nose. So it's probably no time it broke. But my mom's dad was in the Masons. And he was looking for a, a son to take his ring and carry on in the Masons. And so I was the only grandson, the only one of his that was recruited by the Masons. And it was the CIA that recruited me for the Masons. So I learned about all the operatives in there. And um, so, yeah, so apparently there was plans all along and um, that I stood out in the family with aptitudes and things like that. And for my brother to admit that I was more gifted at art that's a narcissist won't say that unless he's venting. And um, basically what he's saying, like I said, when he said that I was better meant that I was going to get payback for that. But he told me later that, you know, if there was toys, he would change the T's on it to J's and he was glad to do it. He was happy to steal. He said that when he watched films that he really liked slasher films and enjoyed women being cut up where I did not. And so he would put films on when I was young in front of me. He was older for me to watch to try to scare me. And I felt a demonic power at the house very much. So in fact, one time I went out on the porch at night, my parents were out and I had to stay away from my brother because he would try to beat me up too. He had carte blanche to do it. So I was on the back yard looking at the forest and it felt dark and evil. And so I tried to be brave and called out to the forest. I went, you know, ah, like to yell to the forest to try to be strong and brave. And I felt like something yelled back. It's like Game of Thrones. And I'm very moved by it right now. It's like the Game of Thrones where they stuck in where they said the thing that bothered most was the voice of the wizard, the voice from the flames. 
And what's interesting about the Game of Thrones we now learned was the Game of Thrones, because I've done many, many interviews, talked about my life. The Game of Thrones, um, George R.R. Martin is an employee of Warner Brothers and HBO when he wrote it. I thought maybe he was some great author. He's a deep player that was brought in and given the work to, what to put in by a team of writers. And so exactly HBO and Warner Brothers. And so he stuck in. Remember I said about the farm where we went to the farm on holidays. And it was all about what you did best. Violet lived on the farm, says the one um, um, man, black guy, the uh, guy in black, the wall guy, guards the wall, knights the watch. Um, he says he remembers having tumbles with Violet from the farm. Well, Violet was from the farm. Then they talk about, like I said, um, the Robert goes, who was that woman you had, you know, that took your virtue, you know, Ed Stark? Who was that? What was her name? Uh, Becca. Becca with a big bits, he says. That's what he says in the, in the script. And um, who was the honeypot wife? Becca with a big bits. That's what she was known for. So they kept putting these things in the Game of Thrones. Like I said, Tomlin, King Tomlin, whatever, is the one that's so horrified by his loved ones dying, my sons die, that he commits suicide off the ledge. Which is very interesting because from, like I said, when they did um, Inception, they had the character falling off the ledge. The wife falls off the ledge. It's, they have the red-headed queen that has perfected the art, Tyrion says, of tearing up documents, which my sister, the red-headed queen, we called her, tears up the documents, any diagnosis and everything. They're just stacking in there, yeah. putting in there in length. And then when you look at Game of Thrones, the directors of it, when you look at the series, it's always a different director because it's a compilation work. It's not by one author. Sure. So, yeah. I, I would have to venture to say that the Freemasonry – you said it was your mom's dad, right? Right. Was she involved in the, um, what is it, the uh, Eastern Star at all? That's for the ladies? She was the daughter. Masonry? She was a daughter. So um, she wasn't a wife of a Mason. So um, as far as I know, she wasn't. Um, she was um, very, very beautiful. And my dad was very handsome. They should have been actors and actresses, but that's part of the reason I think that um, um, our childhood was about being perfect. You had to look perfect. You had to act perfect. And um, maybe that's part of the reasons my brothers used the beating of me as an outlet from getting a break from being perfect. If I look at it now, maybe that's what right. that was. Yeah. And, um, have, have you ever... Because this isn't what I'm going to say is is an important spiritual principle, I guess, that even if you yourself are not inviting or involved in Freemasonry, if it's in your family's history, it's important to renounce that, um, you know, to to say it to God and just cut all ties, you know, verbalize that. Is that something that you've ever done? What's interesting is, for the sake of my last surviving son, what, what happened was there's a twofold thing here. They tried to blackball me out. They tried, again, the false accusations, and they tried to, without my knowledge, blackball me out, vote me out, which means, according to your oath in the Masons, you are to die a traitor's death, a cable length from shore in the shallows. Kirk died that death. Kirk, my son, died in the lap pool. You know, in the shallows, and they made sure of it on the military base with the cameras. So, um, I have a feeling from my understanding that I'm going to be seeing that footage someday. Um, if I don't succeed at what I'm doing, they're going to show me the footage of him dying as a means to try to break me, you know. And, um, that fact that they burned him like Game of Thrones burned Sean and Kirk both to ashes without me never getting to see them, um, reminds me of Game of Thrones a cultish death. And this, the daughter who's estranged, who works for Disney now, gets all the Disney jobs, um, married to the one firm's relative. Um, she carries their ashes with her. And it's not right. It's not right. 
You don't carry them around with you. You know, that's, that's like trophies. And, um, they made a lot of money off their deaths, off assurance, and also did fundraisers and enjoyed traveling and, and having, um, nice times. And so it was like, yeah. And then you look at the wife of my son, Sean, the trans, the change that happens when, um, when he dies is scary. When you look at what she looks like before and after the death, I like immediately after the death. And I'm trying to see if I can find her um, image here while we're talking. Cause okay. I think it definitely stands out when you talk about the Masons and the symbols and things, there's yep. something very odd with um, what happened with her. Well, while you're looking for that, I'll just tell a brief anecdote. And the reason I asked that question, if you've, you know, if you, if you recollect, if you've renounced that in a prayer to God, because it's important to do that again, if that's in your family history, there can be attachments and legal access spiritually, even if you never entered into it. Um, Right. So uh, just a little bit about our family. I found out that my mom who is adopted on her birth mom's side, she had an aunt who was in the Order of the Eastern Star, which is the female Freemasonry. They have their own group because right. Freemasons yeah, are men. With them. Right. Well, I was doing some research on that, um, and I think this was actually in uh, Bill Schneblin's um, book. So um, we, um, after the episodes uh, that we first uh, talked to with you, Tom, uh, we're going to be airing our, our conversation with Bill. We got to talk a few weeks ago. So um, incredible life story, similar to yours in, in its incredibleness, but, but very different life. Anyway, uh, in his book, he was talking about how the Eastern Star organization is uh, what's known as adoptive Freemasonry. And so basically any family member is adopted in without their consent. And so learning that, I, I called up my mom a couple weeks ago and told her the information I had learned. You know, they have a they have a pentagram right on the website for the Eastern Star. I mean, it's right in your face. Right. And I said, let's pray. Let's, you know, let's renounce it. If there's any ties to it spiritually that uh, have been over you and even over, you know, me and Luke and the rest of our family. Right. Let's, let's just rule that out from, from then on. And so if, if you haven't specifically done that, I would be happy to pray right now and just do that for a moment before we move on, because I think that's important. Sure. That's fine. That's, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, let's do that. Well, dear God, we come before you, God, you are the ultimate authority in all of creation, the only uncreated being, and you are sovereign over all. And so whatever uh, the enemy of humanity, the enemy of you has had authority over Tom and his family and his history due to Freemasonry or any other satanic involvement on Tom's behalf and on his family's behalf, Lord, we come before you to renounce and revoke that authority right now, forevermore. And we take it back for your kingdom and for your territory that whatever continuation of evil that has been allowed to persist even up until this moment will no longer be allowed to persist because we are declaring and renouncing it in Jesus name. Amen. And I want to add... Lord, uh, I just ask um, for all that Tom has been through, even as an adult, that you will put pieces back together and that restoration and justice will be seen even in this lifetime and that you will just give him the comfort and the peace that he needs to move forward day by day and that you are by his side. We know that because of your word, you'll never leave him. You'll never forsake him. And I just speak over him peace and restoration in all things in Jesus name. 
Thank you. Amen. Yeah. And Amen. protection for you and, and Aiden and all of that. So yeah, we just yeah. want to do that for you, Tom, because uh, I know that's, you know, part, part of what we try to do on this show too is, is Luke and I like to dig deep into these things and, right. and how does, what are the, the rules to the spiritual realms that give access to things that we don't, we don't understand those rules. Right. You know, cause we're physical for the most part, our lives are, are you know, are about our, our body and our soul. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's really helpful to learn kind of as far as what, you know, uh, what your family lineage is. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add to your, to your childhood there? Feel free to go ahead. Otherwise, um, you touched a little bit on CPS and all of that. So maybe we could get into that next. Yeah, that sounds good. One of the things from the childhood I think that stands out to me is that I started thinking, I thought differently than others. I definitely viewed the world differently than others. And it was about, um, I remember making a decision that I don't want this happening to others. I don't want anyone to ever go through what I'm going through. And so it dispels that idea that if you're treated terribly or abused that you're going to abuse that is not true if if you're abused you come to that decision point i think where you decide that you don't want that to happen to anybody else then that's where you head you head that way pat robertson tried to make it that it's ironclad if you're abused you're going to abuse and it's just not true um that decision it's and i likened it to that idea that if a father was an alcoholic and had two sons. One son, you could see going, I am not going to drink alcohol because my father was an alcoholic. The other son might say, I'm going to drink alcohol because my father was an alcoholic. You can go either route, but they've tried to make it, and child services embraces this too, that if you are abused, then you're going to abuse. That's a hard thing to do. That means that there's no way out uh, socially for a person who's been treated badly. And that's, that's just, that's what I mean. Again, child services is filled with idiots, absolute yeah. idiots. Well, so, and it's, yeah. so it's infiltrated. It's, you, you've said it's connected to the FBI and, you know, families are destroyed. Um, the 302ing, you know, that's part of it, right. To rip families apart. It's part of child trafficking, all of that stuff. So why don't, why don't you get into, yeah, whatever, whatever you know or, or speculate is what CPS is up to? Well, look at, look at what happened to us with that situation. Um, there's a lady named Samantha Harrison. Here's how they did it. Samantha Harrison came to us. She claimed that she was called in, that she had to come. She interviews uh, myself, Aiden, my mom, because I was caretaking my mom and my dad at the time. And who are elderly. She comes in with a song and dance, wearing like go-go boots, you know, like leather boots with um, the tight, uh, what is it called? The fishnet? Tight fitting things. Yeah. No, like like sweats that are dance sweats that tight. Oh, they're tight. Yep. Leggings. Leggings. Yeah. And then she's got like this um, kind of sassy top. It, it didn't look like somebody was a professional. She comes in and she's interviewing us and she tells us this. I wish there was more families like this. This is such a good environment. And she interviewed Aiden. Um, really appreciate you guys. Listen, call me anytime. I'm here for you. I said, can we stop these 302 attempts, these things to try to, it's like, I, we have to come every time they're called, but don't worry. We'll have a file. We'll know. So she gives us her card, Samantha Harrison from Bucks County Child Services. What we didn't know is that she was working for Brian Fitzpatrick, the congressman. And now we have the documents that we now have which showed that she was, she said, off to do more appearances. Uh, we, are, we don't have enough to put them away yet. Why are they telling me that we're a model family and that she's really pleased and she'll be in Aiden's life and that she's going to make things work for us and help us get services for him and for us to have a, make it easier for his life when she's actually not there for that, not for Aiden at all. It was all a ruse. She was there to help my sister and to uh, help Ryan Fitzpatrick, the congressman, lifelong FBI, to try to see if they can put me away. And in the documents you see later, it says, we don't have enough yet. It says he looked, he wasn't dressed right. He looked, he sounded manic. My sister acts manic, not us. 
You know, no, I've done hundreds of interviews. I don't think I've been manic on interviews. But the thing is that um, my sister will take a clip from hundreds of interviews and hold it up to my mom and where the clip is saying, um, I'm hoping for this hard end, you know, for that this ends, that Aiden has a great life. She takes that and screaming a nomadic way to my mom. She's holding up to my mom, playing it over and over, this clip that the agencies gave her. And she's going, look, he's going to shoot me. He's going to shoot me. See, he's going to shoot me. And she's holding up to my mom. How does that mean that? And then she says, I'm going to call the, I'm going to call the CIA and the FBI. And they're going to get him. They're going to put him away in a 302. He's going to kill me. How does a clip from all the hundreds of interviews that says, I'm waiting for the horror to end. Yeah, it's not even Who's close. the manic one? Right? Who's the yes. one that's bipolar? Who's the one that's bulimic? Who's the one that's taking medication? And that's who the FBI uses and rewards. So she'll say I call her all the time. On the death of my son, Sean, when Sean died, she called me after two years of absence, calls me, not even on my birthday, on the day he dies. I think it's to offer condolences. So I go, Julie, I'm so glad you called. Like We act normally. That's what you're going to say. She keeps a cold voice. And the first things out of her mouth is, Tom, you have to say you're bipolar. You hear the whispering in the background. She's calling from the school of elementary kids. Why are you saying this in front of elementary kids? You're a man's voice, they're whispering. You have to say you're bipolar. You have to say you're angry and suicidal. Say it back to me now. Like, Julie, I thought you were calling to offer condolences. Say it back to me now. In that kind of voice. I said, who's the, who's the voice of the man? Who's whispering? So that's, that's, that's children. If that was so, you have no business talking in front of children like that when you're a school counselor. Right. Unlicensed. Next thing, she pushes it home. She has, she's got a job to do, right? They got to put me away on a 302, so they have to get me to say that I'm suicidal. I'm not. They have to get me to say that I'm angry and bipolar, apparently, to make it stick. That's a life sentence right there. No due process. You're shot away without even a trial. And so she says this. If you don't say back to me that you're bipolar, suicidal, and angry, then that means we can't have a relationship. I said, Julie, we haven't spoken in two years. Mm-hmm. Right? Then she gets more manic. She's like, if you don't say back to me, then you're saying I don't matter. I'm like, Julie, if that's the parameters, you don't matter. I'm not going to say it. But listen what that was. Now, a narcissist, when a narcissist says, they're the ones that FBI and CIA target to buy off D players. Sophia Stewart, Chosky's, my sister, all narcissists. What they do is they wear a mask of superiority, but they don't ever want to be revealed for what's really inside their feeling of inferiority. And so what they do is when she said that to me, like it didn't make sense to me at first. It may not make sense to you at first. Too, when she says, if you don't say this, this horrible thing that will lock me away, then you're saying I don't matter. How is that supposed to con- compel me to say it? Right? Think of it. But to a narcissist, it makes perfect sense. Because all that matters to them is themselves. And if you're going to say I don't matter, that's the whole world at stake. So there's a couple things to unpack there, and I want to get into that 302-ing and, and how that works. But before we do, is there anything else that you wanted to add as far as how you have observed either personally or stories that you've heard about how the CPS, CPS Child Protective Services, and the FBI have worked together to dismantle dismantle hey families? Yeah. yeah. Right now, they've, they changed it when they failed on the 302 attempt where my sister got those awards on the floor of Congress where pictures held up the day after and the helicopters are circling our home with the SWAT team. What happens now is when the SWAT team show up, they now bring child services with them to confiscate the children. Just like they did on Maui, kind of. So what yeah. they're going to do now is the, the children are the pawns on the chessboard and they're, they're considered their view of the game. They call it a game, chess game. So what they're going to do now is take children away, right? And that's part of their tactic. That's why my two sons were killed. And it was told to me that's why they were killed. So I would, quote, behave myself. Then they act like it's a gift to you and you're supposed to be grateful that your last son isn't killed. Yeah. You're supposed to be grateful when they're offering you to come back on, come home, they call it, come home and work for them. And you learn to behave yourself. They view it as what the honeypot wife said to me. They view it as, again, the laws of nature. 
and that the strong are created to prey upon the weak. Now, you ask about the agency's viewpoints. They believe, and I learned this in the Masons too, they believe that um, all supreme beings, whatever, are of the light, in a sense. Okay. Therefore, Satan is of the light. And that Satan, in these lost um, scriptures, if you will, Dead Sea Scrolls or something, they're claiming that the, the, the uh, Gospel of Judas, because they have these documents or something, supposedly, the Vatican too, right. in the Gospel of Judas, that Judas was actually doing what Christ told him to do, what Jesus told him to do, was to pretend he's betraying him, turn him in so that his work can be completed. And they claim that Judas was the greatest of all the disciples because he took the fall for Jesus. Coherently with that, that Satan, and I don't believe this, Satan is of the light, is an active deity that is interacting with humans much better than an absentee father, a deadbeat yeah, and, dad. And that he's the good one and, and the God of the Bible is the evil one. Is more concerned about humanity than God. That he's hands-on with humanity. The whole Luciferian Freemasonic belief system from the beginning that we, we just had Gary Wayne uh, publish those episodes, he lays out how that came about from the very beginning. So when I was groomed by the Christian coalition to be the face of the Christian coalition, I was being groomed to be the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk took my place. Elon Musk got the plastic surgery, looked like the baby face, and I'm not making this up. He's now supposed to mislead us as a savior to humanity. Watch what happens in the trail of Elon Musk. Does he ever say anything bad about the Neuralink? No. Is there things bad about the Neuralink? You betcha. All through here is the bad about the Neuralink. It was for the story. Is, is Elon Musk pretending to be our savior? What is one of the articles they put out? He is the, the face of God, they're now saying. That he has the face of God. Look it up. YouTube, Elon Musk, the face of God. They're not putting that out there. They're also saying that he is going to save us and rescue us, and people are falling for it. And it's supposed to be the, what was I to be? The face of the Christian coalition. That baby face that you will follow and trust, mainly the women, are conditioned to trust that, that he can take us anywhere he wants. But there's a fly in the ointment, and that's me, and I'm actually referred to as the fly in the ointment. Wow. So, um, okay. I didn't realize we get this deep, but it's important to get this deep. Yeah. It's good. Um, Yeah, you mentioned earlier about uh, the CIA recruiting you for the Freemasons. Yes, um, and the FBI gave me the card. That's like oh, let, let me back up a moment, though, because you, you, I wanted to unpack, because I didn't think we did this yet, uh, the definition of 302-ing someone. So can you explain what that is, what what the tactics, and what is the purpose and goal? It's actually, they're... absolutely, it's actually rooted with Stalinistic Russia and also Hitler's Third Reich. Now we know, and if you watch the video or the series Hunting Hitler, on Netflix, of course, or YouTube, YouTube, mm-hmm. hunting Hitler. We now find out that the CIA knew exactly where Hitler was, that of course he went to Burkes Garden. His SS were ordered to Burkes Garden for last stand. Actually, they were ordered there so they could get out. So Hitler didn't die in Berlin. He was sent there. He set it up with the tunnels and everything. Of course he's going there. Why would he waste that? Why would he suddenly change his mind and say, I'm just going to commit suicide? When he had everything set up at Burkes Garden, the whole infrastructure for that. Then the Vatican doing the, um, and bring me back to the point if I go off point, but the Vatican was in charge of absolving the crimes and sins of the Nazi regime, Nazi players, top level. The Red Cross was tasked with giving them new papers and documentations, and that's because the CIA and the Pentagon green-lighted them to do so. They would never have done it if they weren't green-lighted. Now everybody's saying the Red Cross is evil. The Red Cross follows the orders from the Pentagon. They also originated in Geneva, Switzerland. So, the second. Yeah, well, these, so, were, these were Freemasonic orders. Exactly. Basically. And so right. is the CIA, and so is the Pentagon. Rothschild, Red Shield. That's right. Why is the Pentagon a Pentagon? Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yo, interesting. Because what did the founding fathers do? Gre- Greco-Roman architecture. Pentagon's not Greco-Roman. Why isn't the Pentagon Greco-Roman if that's what our founding fathers were doing? Why is it a Pentagon? Anyway, enough on that. So what happens is now the CIA is leaking all the documents out about how they knew exactly where Hitler was and his top people were, and they went exactly as this said to South America, actually to Brazil. They all talk about Argentina. They stopped off at Brazil. What I know is that Hitler was in Brazil, not Argentina. But his top people were going to Argentina. But it was supposed to be hidden. Anyway, so what happens is actually a border right there, a central area where the different nations meet. So the CIA had a blessing on that, everything else. So what you have is this whole system where 302s are born out of Hitler's Third Reich and Stalin. So it's a tactic of a tactic of marginalizing. How to get rid of your top intellects. At the uh, work camps, you had intellects there also. In Band of Brothers, Spielberg reveals this. In Band of Brothers, they go and say to the one man in the one scene, they are at the um, work camp, the concentration camp, and they say to the one man who can speak a broken English or, or German, and he says, were you um, criminals? And the man hears the interpretation goes, no, no, nine, 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 nine. And he says, intellectuals, philosophers, educators. Okay, so how do you get rid of them? Hitler did. How do you get rid of them in the United States, modeled after Nazi Germany? They considered it successful and a way to defeat communism. That's why it became a fascist state. That's why the, the U.S. is drunk on the successes of the Third Reich. So we adopted their system to defeat communism. We are a fascist state to defeat communism. Rocket program, everything. And so 302s are adopted, a Gestapo tactic, where you can take any citizen by saying they are dangerous and there is no process legally, like Guantanamo Bay. What happens is you are hauled off in the middle of the night by a SWAT team. They can take you out if they're considered lucky. Or, because what was in that documentation besides Samantha Harrison working with the FBI? There's documentation from the police force working with the FBI, where the chief of police trained at Quantico, the FBI Academy, has the yellow brick, the yellow brick road, the yellow brick, I can show you a picture of it, behind his desk, which is the thing the FBI gives you. They give you a yellow brick, the yellow brick road, pause. You got to see it to believe it. It says FBI on it. It does. And so what happens is, it's the other end of this fantasy world. And that then are going to be cooperating with the FBI. So the police force then takes you. And in that document on me, it said that Tom Oldhouse is highly aggressive. Now, Aiden showed me um, this uh, guy called Donut online, who, who shows you of actual footage from police raids and stuff. And Aiden showed me, my son, who just turned 17, showed me that dad, when they say you're aggressive, they come packing to kill. They come with all this. And they had the body armor on, the cameras, and they had the SWAT rifles and everything. And some even were too far into the movies. They had the caps backgrounds and everything trying to look good. They probably got in front of the mirror before they got out there, getting all fixed up, (laughs) like just again, some Hollywood footage. And out they come, piled at the window. They were coming to kill. They told a neighbor, you better get inside. You don't want to see this. You better get inside. You don't want to see this. What does that mean when these guys are toting all these weaponry? They're going to get some fun. They're going to have some fun. They're going to cause a slaughter. So what happens is they come and the guy's asking to enter the home. They're pushing the door open. I said, I'll meet you on the porch. That ruined the whole plan. I met them on the porch. They can't break in shooting. I'm on the porch with them. They never gave us the body cam footage. They're supposed to. They never did. Never let us have it. And so they're setting up this whole thing. Just come with us. You know, there's a report. So a 302 is this. Somebody, like my sister, who's well rewarded many times, um, in an insane way, says, he's he's dangerous and crazy. He's calling me, saying he's going to shoot somebody. And he's going to mm-hmm. shoot me. And he's going to shoot his son. They can say whatever they want. Right. Here comes the SWAT team. That's all they need. Just somebody to lie like that, a federal lie. And, and especially a, a family member, is that key to get a family member to say that? That is a tactic of the FBI, CIA, and Disney, both. Yes. They get family members. Matter? to do that. 
because they think that, because legally you can't do anything about that. You can't sue a family member for saying it. You can sue anybody outside of the family member. Hmm. Would that be similar to like getting somebody committed? You know, that's exactly a family member says this person is psychotic and suicidal and intervention. intervention, If if it's a neighbor, they're not going to do it. But if it's a family member, they're close. Exactly. They should should care. They should, you know, be loving. And if they're willing to, you know, give that information up. Yeah, we need to take it seriously. That's exactly it. That's exactly what they play. And so they reward them heavily. So that's why, the, if you look at the, um, take me back to the theft of the work at some point here, where, 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 where my brother's set up in that very same thing you just said, um, Luke, where it's like they're planning to get this work, this very screenplay, to Disney free of charge through my brother by having my brother claim that it was his work that I took from him. See what's going right. on? So again, in the courts, yeah. if they have a family member on board, then they've got a much more streamlined path to intellectual property theft. That's Mike that right? Lang's strategy. Mike Lang of Disney, his strategy is at the death of the author, you have a family member claim that it was stolen from that family member by that, the one that actually did it and reward them well. My brother's waiting for this to happen, right? He was involved yep. in this also. So they're going to claim that Jack Aldhouse did all this and I stole it from him and somehow bullied him and stole it from him. And then Disney's going to go, listen, Jack Aldhouse wanted us to have this, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Wow. And then they steal it free of charge. So if I could sum it up, it would be a two part, two pronged attack, buy off with rewards and promises to family members and then marginalize the target as crazy and haul them away. Yes. And use your media to slam it home. Look up the article sometime of the Wachowskis from TMZ. TMZ is owned by Warner Brothers that launched on me worldwide. That um, they said that, um, you know, a know nothing hack that they didn't, I didn't, they didn't jack the work and that I didn't return comments. The attorney for Warner Brothers is the attorney for TMZ that had his de- her defendants get right on the paper and do that whole article. It's a circus supplying an unlicensed attorney to come to me. Now get this. With child services involved, right? It, it sickens me that she was not there for my child's welfare. That that was staged, the interview of him. That's what pisses me off about Samantha Harrison the most. And if you hear passion right now, she committed a horrible crime and lied to us and took advantage of my son. Samantha, Samantha Harrison Samantha Harrison is the um, social worker from the child services from Bucks County Child Services. Okay who was on these paperwork from this law firm we found where she was trying to see if she could put me away for life. Now, here's the deal. If they get, they have my sister standing by. My sister had my niece, Rachel Stevenson, calling the doctors not to help us, but to say, Julia Zarko will take Aiden because they had a problem. Where will Aiden go? So they put my mom away too. They wanted to make money off of her. It's insane. Yeah. So what was going on was they had it all placed and what was going to happen was they're going to take Aiden and I would not see Aiden. Here's what was going to happen. When I was in the mental facility for life, I was supposed to give my work over and allow it to happen because I would never see Aiden again. If I behaved myself, I was told, Aiden would be allowed to visit, but it wouldn't be Aiden anymore. It'd be a reprogrammed Aiden who wouldn't even, would think I was some kind of criminal. So it wouldn't be much of a visit. <laughs> 